Thank you very much, Mr. McAllen. We are glad that uh, the conference meetings can continue in this fashion. They may not be able to take part in uh, person and uh, gather in the normal way, but we're thankful nevertheless that there is the opportunity to consider these matters and for the word of the Lord to go forth uh, over the airwaves and other means as well, webcast, and we're glad to be part of the conference and uh, have the opportunity of ministering the Word of God even upon these uh, subjects that are being uh, considered this year and those that have been allocated to me. Uh, I'm glad to have the opportunity to uh, be involved. It's a work that's near to our heart and we pray the Lord indeed will bless His, his Word and all who are uh, watching and listening might know the Lord's Word coming with power and blessing even to their hearts this evening. We're going to bow together in prayer. Uh, the Word of God has been read there, and we're just going to wait upon the Lord and ask uh, the Lord for His help as we come to uh, these matters. Our Heavenly Father, we do bow before Thee in the Saviour's name. We thank Thee this evening hour that we can gather again before Thee, come around the Word of God, even now seek Thee in prayer, ask Thee for help and blessing uh, to be our portion as we come to consider these things and Consider the testimony of thy servant David as it is given to us in the word of God. And we thank thee for thy word. We praise thee, Lord, that thy truth endures unto all generations. And we pray that tonight it will be with blessing and power to all who hear. And may there be a word in season, Lord, not just as we consider these things in uh, a means of understanding and knowing more but Lord a word to our heart a personal word a word in season to our own lives and our own experience Lord grant that along the way we ask of thee and we pray that the word of God will be owned of thyself and Lord it will run in a free course across the earth Lord we pray that there will be that abounding of thy word that there will be a highway for the preaching of it so come we ask of thee and bless us now we pray in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My subject this evening uh, at this conference meeting is the testimony of David uh, to the second coming of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. While conversing with the Pharisees, the Lord Jesus Christ asked them a question. It's given to us in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 42. What think ye of Christ, whose son is he? And the Pharisees uh, rightly answered, immediately answered, the son of David. And then the Lord Jesus asked them another question that they were not so ready to answer. You have it following on verses 43 to 45 of Matthew chapter 22. How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? That quotation uh, by the Lord Jesus, taken from Psalm 110, strongly argues that Messiah is much more than just David's son. It suggests to the serious reader that Messiah is David's Lord and David's master. It strongly argues that Messiah is a divine person. We have here an argument for the divinity of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder the Pharisees did not want to answer that question? They were reduced to either acknowledging the deity of the Messiah 
and acknowledging that the one who stood before them was indeed the Messiah and that he was the Son of God and the claims that he made uh, were indeed true. Or they were reduced to confessing their own ignorance. They chose the latter. They stayed silent and said nothing. They wouldn't acknowledge the divinity of the Messiah at all. But what you have there is just one example of David's testimony to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the revered Jonathan Edwards who said that there was a remarkable manifest and manifold agreement between the things said of David in his history and the things said of the Messiah in the prophecies. That there was a remarkable manifest and manifold agreement between the things that were said of David in his history and of the Messiah in the prophecies. David's whole life bears testimony in various ways to the coming of the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah the second time. Hannah might indeed be the first person in the scripture to make reference to uh, the Lord's anointed. You have that in 1 Samuel 2 and verse 10. But David, more than any other Bible writer, refers to the one anointed of God. He does it repeatedly. And this evening we want to come to consider what David has to say and how David's life and history even set out this uh, great truth that the Lord is coming again and what particular aspects of it that we can particularly uh, consider this evening. Now the first thing I want us to consider here is David's testimony as a shepherd to the second coming of the Lord. David's testimony as a shepherd to the second coming of the Lord. David was first a shepherd. That is how we are introduced to him in the scriptures. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 11, Samuel asked Jesse, Are here all thy children? That was the occasion when Samuel had come to Bethlehem to anoint the next king of Israel, come to Jesse's family. And Jesse's sons had all passed before him, all but one and none of them were the Lord's chosen at all. And then Samuel said that to, to Jesse, Are here all thy children? And Jesse answered Samuel, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And that's how we are introduced to David in the, script, the Scriptures. He's introduced to us as the individual who is keeping uh, the sheep. Samuel uh, commanded that Jesse send for his youngest son, and David came in and tells us he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And we know what the Lord said to Samuel, that he was to rise and anoint him for this was the chosen of God. But David was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. And we know the shepherd's psalm and how much comfort and blessing that shepherd's psalm that David has penned has brought to many a child of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That wonderful psalm in Psalm 23 has so blessed and comforted our hearts. Maybe even in these times it has come with blessing as we think upon those words and how the Lord shepherds his people. Just as David shepherded the sheep and looked after his father's sheep upon the hillsides of Judah, so the Lord looks after his people and is a shepherd. And may the Lord indeed draw near and shepherd our souls that we shall not want. But when we think of David as the shepherd, we think, and we think of him here and we see him as a type of Christ the shepherd. The type of Christ the shepherd. We know that uh, that is so because the scriptures 
uh, clearly stated and give us the warrant for thinking upon this particular uh, theme. For example, in Ezekiel 34 and verse 23, it says, I will set up one shepherd over them and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. Now David's long dead when Ezekiel utters those words in Ezekiel 34 and verse 23. Oh, David's long dead. David was, was history by that time. He was a memory. His memory indeed was sacred, but he was no longer upon the earth. It was long past his generation and his time. But it tells you there that the Lord says that he's going to set up one shepherd over them, and that shepherd was going to be his servant David. Now, we're not so much thinking about David himself in some way coming back, being reincarnated or appearing again. We're thinking about the, the name David and what that name means. Because that name means beloved. The name David means beloved. I will set up my beloved. When the Lord says there in Ezekiel thirty four twenty three, I will set up one shepherd over them, even my servant David. He's thinking there about even my beloved even my beloved. And just as David had that name that meant the beloved one, so the Lord is thinking there about a future shepherd of Israel who was going to have this name at least as to its meaning. He was going to be the beloved. And when we come to think of Jesus Christ, we think of him as the beloved. He's the beloved son, the one who is described in the New Testament as the good shepherd and the chief shepherd, the great shepherd. He is the beloved son. Not any earthly beloved son, but heaven's beloved son. God's own dear beloved son. So when we come to think about David's life, we think about him as a shepherd. We see here a picture of the Lord Jesus. We see a picture here of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Both the first time and the second time as well. Asaph, if you just go back a, a, a few Psalms, Psalm 80, has that title or that introduction it is to uh, Psalm 80. It says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubim, shine forth. So whatever shepherding David might have done, however we think of him as, as the shepherd and what he did uh, for, for Israel, even when he, he later on came to the throne and, and he watched over the people and, and thought upon them as a flock, oh, there's a greater shepherd. There's the shepherd of Israel, as Asaph here tells us, who dwells between the cherubims. No, any, no earthly son, but heaven's beloved son. That's who this, this shepherd is. That's who's identified there in Ezekiel 34, 23, when the Lord says, I will set up one shepherd over them, even my servant David. The Lord's thinking about his own beloved son. That's who he has in mind in, in that statement. His own beloved son, because that's the meaning of, of David's name, the one who is the beloved. And Jesus Christ is his father's beloved son. As we know, heaven bore witness on two separate occasions to Jesus Christ being God's beloved son. You think of that occasion at his baptism, Matthew 3, verse 17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then again at his transfiguration, Matthew 17 and verse 5, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Jesus Christ is heaven's beloved Son, and God would have us to hear him. 
how important that is. Even if we stop for a moment and apply that thought to our own hearts, do we hear him? Have we got a hearing ear for God's dear Son? Is there that ear that is tuned to his voice, tuned to his word? Have we got an ear that's interested in hearing what God the Lord would say to us? Do we have that spirit that was in the house of Cornelius and Cornelius himself and in his household when they said to to Peter, we're all here present to hear what the Lord has to say unto us. Well, may the Lord give us such a hearing ear for his word that we might hear the Lord and what he would have to say to us. But when we come to think about this shepherd of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ, there are some things that this shepherd will do that are outlined for us in the word of God. For example, this shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. That's the most obvious thought, the primary thought. The first thought that will enter into our minds if we know the word of God at all as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ as the shepherd will think about the picture of him laying down his life for the sheep. We're told in Zechariah 13 and verse 7, it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the, the sheep will be scattered. Isn't that what it says in that portion? That there's to be a smiting of the, of the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. We're to think there about the the shepherd, and him giving his life for the sheep. That's often the case with the, the shepherd in Israel. The shepherd became the door of the, the sheepfold. Where the Lord Jesus said, I am the door, by me if any man enter in. He's thinking there about the fact that oftentimes the shepherd himself became the door. That narrow opening into the sheepfold, only wide enough for a single sheep to go in at a time. And for the shepherd to count them as they would squeeze in through a very narrow opening. And then when all the sheep are counted into the sheepfold and the darkness is coming down in the evening time, the shepherd would come, would sit down and get himself into that opening. And he would, he would literally become the door. And there he would spend the night watching over his sheep, seeking to drive away any wild beast that would come to attack the sheep. And that's the significance of that statement in John 10 and verse 11 then where where it says in that portion of scripture that the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep because oftentimes the shepherd did exactly that in Israel. He gave his life defending his sheep. In taking care of the sheep he sacrificed his life and oftentimes he lost. A shepherd could lose their life. That's how much he loved the sheep. He was willing to defend them to the death. Jesus Christ loved his sheep. Having loved his own, the Bible tells us, he loved them unto the end. And he sacrificed himself. He sacrificed himself. He's the, he's the shepherd in, in that sense, in that he will lay down his life for the sheep. And what a statement that is in the word of God there, when it says there in Zechariah 13 and 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd. The sheep shall be scattered. The shepherd is the equal of God. God says he's my fellow. And the sword of divine justice that ought to have fallen upon those who are in Christ ought to have fallen upon the sinner, ought to have slain us in a moment. The wrath of God ought to have 
taken us out into a lost eternity. The justice of God cried out against us. But the sword awoke not against us, but against Christ. Against our mediator, against our saviour, against our shepherd. The one who was God's fellow. The one who was his equal. And the shepherd indeed was smitten. So the Bible has that as a very uh, prominent theme when we come to think about uh, the shepherd and the coming of, of God's own dear son in that, in that sense. But there's another way in which we want to consider the shepherd. The shepherd will recover the flock. The shepherd will recover the flock. I want you to turn over to that uh, book of Ezekiel again. And this time, rather than me just uh, quoting the references, I would have you to turn them up. Ezekiel chapter 34, and we want to read some words here from verse 11. Ezekiel chapter 34, and verse 11. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out, as a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out of out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. Oh, what a wonderful portion about the shepherd there and how he's going to recover the flock, how he's going to search them, search out for them. Verse 11, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. The Lord's going to do the, the, the searching. And remember, the shepherd is his own beloved son. And here we are told that the Lord himself is going to do the searching and the seeking for his sheep. There's going to be a recovery here of his sheep. And we're thinking about the house of Israel because it tells us there that they're going to be gathered out of all of those places where they're scattered. Verse 13, he'll bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries. They're scattered across the world, across the face of the earth, but there's going to be a gathering of them, a bringing of them to their own land, it tells us. So there's going to be a recovery of the sheep. And this leads us on to, to think about the second coming of the Lord. For this is when this recovery is going to take place. It has not taken place as of yet. There has not been that recovery where they've been gathered into their own land. Oh, certainly there's been a remnant elect according to grace that have come to know Christ as Savior. But these words have never been fulfilled. Where the Lord says, I'm going to search them out myself I'm going to search them out. I'm going to be the shepherd that will do the searching and I will find them and bring them and recover them. I will bring them out from the people and recover them from the countries. I'll bring them to their own land. That can only mean one place. Their own land. And if we were mistaken, it goes on to tell us there where he says they'll feed upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in the habit places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture upon the high mountains of Israel. Shall their fold be? The Lord identifies where it is. He's going to recover them too. They're going to be recovered to their own land. So the shepherd is going to engage in a work of recovery. Not only a work of redemption, 
and that he's going to redeem a people and redeem a, a, a flock and a sheep. But he's going, to, he's going to recover a people as well. He's going to recover his ancient people, bring them to their own land. You have the same thought in uh, chapter 37, Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 24. It says, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. They sh- shall also walk <coughs> in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. These words have never been fulfilled. The fulfillment of that portion that I'm just after reading there in chapter 37 of Ezekiel 24 down to 28 awaits fulfillment. And what a wonderful portion setting out the shepherd connected with David. David's mentioned there again twice over in that portion. Verse 24 and also verse 25 it is mentioned there about David. And there's a thought here about the shepherd. How the Lord's going to recover them. They're going to dwell in the land that the Lord gave to Jacob. Again, there can't be any mistake about it. Children's one generation after another, their children and their children's children forever. We're thinking about a a future day. The Lord says, I'll make a covenant with peace with them, an everlasting covenant. These things await fulfillment. And when you think of David as the shepherd, there is this thought of Jesus Christ as the shepherd. He's the shepherd to redeem a people. He's the shepherd to recover a people. He's a shepherd to redeem a people at his first coming. He's the shepherd to recover a people at his second coming. But he's also going to feed his sheep. That's emphasized as well. We can turn back to Isaiah 40 and look at verse 11 there. It says, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. Oh, the shepherd will will feed. The shepherd will be gracious, very gracious. He'll, He'll carry the lambs, he'll tell us. And how gracious is the Lord. He is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. There's no shepherd of our soul like the Lord Jesus There's no one who watches over us with more care and more interest than the Lord himself. He's he's the shepherd. He's the great shepherd and bishop of our souls. May we rejoice in him tonight and be glad in him as we think about it. Is it any wonder David said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If we have such care, if we have such a shepherd, there's no need to care. For the Lord does all the caring for us. We are just to trust him and yield to him and lean upon him. And may that indeed be our experience as we think about these, uh, these matters even uh, this evening. But in moving on, there's something else I want us to consider. And that's David's testimony to the second coming of the Lord Jesus as a sovereign. Because the shepherd boy became the king of Israel. David is described in 2 Samuel 23 and verse 1 as the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob. 
That's a reference to him becoming king. He's raised up on high. He's the anointed of the God of Jacob. He's a man after God's own heart. Acts 13, the Acts of the Apostles 13, verse 22, it says, And when he, referring to the Lord, had removed him, that's Saul, he, the Lord, raised unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. That was David's qualification for being king. Those words are not a, a commentary upon David after he'd been on the throne for some time, maybe even coming to the end of his, his reign. No, that's a commentary upon him before he was king. That's a commentary as to why the Lord chose him in the first place. Why did the Lord set aside Saul, as it says there? He removed him and he raised up David. Why did he raise up David? Because David is a man after God's own heart. And when we come to think about David as the sovereign in Israel, we're thinking about him as the man raised up of God, the man anointed of God, but also the man after God's own heart. That's how David is described. He's a man after God's own heart. You see, in that, he's a, a type of Jesus Christ then. And he's a type of Jesus Christ as the sovereign. Because Jesus Christ is the individual fully, utterly, completely the individual after God's own heart. In him <coughs> dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And those words that were said of David in their fullness are said of Christ. A man after mine, whole, mine own heart which shall fulfill all my will. Whatever sense that may apply to David, it applies in a far fuller sense to Jesus Christ. It applies ultimately in its fullest sense to Jesus Christ. He is the individual after God's own heart. He is the Son of God after all. The beloved Son as we are thinking about here. And he is the one who fulfilled all his Father's will. He came to do his Father's will. Not my will, but thine be done, was his cry. He is the one who fulfilled his Father's will. So when we come to think about David and what the Word of God has to say about him as the sovereign coming to the throne in Israel, we can see here how there's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we are taught certain things with regards to the Lord Jesus Christ, even with regards to his second coming. Jesus Christ as the sovereign claimed descent from David. He's called the son of David. Ten times in Matthew's Gospel, <coughs> that title is used of Jesus Christ. Compared to only three in uh, Mark and three in Luke, none in John. He's called the son of, of David. And Matthew, as we know, was seeking to prove that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Messiah, the King of the Jews. That's what he was seeking to prove in writing his gospel. And as he starts off there in Matthew 1 and verse 1, identifying Jesus Christ as the son of David. And that's how he continued. Ten times he records that through his, his gospel, that Jesus Christ is indeed the son of David. So he claims descent. Christ can claim descent from, from David. He's, the, he's the, the root and offspring of David. Revelation 5, in verse 5 it says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep. Not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And then again, Revelation 22 and 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. 
So Jesus Christ, again, is the one who can claim descent from David. He's the root and the offspring of David. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jacob spoke of Judah as a lion when he was blessing his sons away back in Genesis 49 and verse 9. And he spoke about Judah and he said, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? Jacob described Judah there as, as the lion, the one victorious, the one all-conquering, the one who comes from the prey, the one who no one is going to rouse up, who, who will want to stir the anger of the Lord when you come to think about the lion of the tribe of Judah. Christ fulfilled that prophecy of, of Jacob as it says there in Revelation 5 and 5, Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He hath prevailed to open the book. Oh, we rejoice tonight in one who has prevailed. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has prevailed. We rejoice in a Savior this evening who will prevail. Nothing will hinder him. Nothing has hindered him in all that he came to do the first time. Nothing's going to hinder him in all that he will come to do the second time. No, there's none who can resist him. There's none who can hinder him. As it tells you there in Revelation uh, chapter 5, there is one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ in, in that regard even this evening. Not, not only can Jesus Christ claim descent, from David, but the Lord Jesus, as the sovereign, takes the offices of David. He takes the offices of David. Jeremiah was long dead when he, or David was long dead, sorry, when Jeremiah stated in chapter 30 and verse 9, But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Jeremiah 30 and, and verse 9. The same point that we made a moment or two ago about Ezekiel bears repeating there. David, the individual in history, is, is long dead by the time Jeremiah has come along. And yet Jeremiah says there in chapter 30 and verse 9, They shall serve the Lord their God and David their king. And as we pointed out, we're thinking about the one who is the beloved. They're going to serve the beloved as their king. And we know who that is. That's God's own beloved dear son. There's coming a day when they're going to serve God's own dear son. The same is true. Those words of Hosea chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. And there you, again you have that reference to David their king. And as we have been repeating now a number of times, the thought that lies here behind all of this is the beloved son and this is going to happen in the latter days, it says. Christ will be their king in the latter days. He will be seen to be their king. It tells you there in Hosea 3, 5 that the children of Israel, they shall return. They'll seek the Lord their God and David their king. They're going to do it as a nation. They've never done it as a nation. Yes, there's that remnant that is elect according to grace. But never as a nation have they returned and sought the Lord their God. Never have they sought the beloved as their king. They rejected the beloved when he stood among them. You even think of some of those parables that the Lord Jesus told about how God sent his own beloved son. And they rejected the beloved son, cried away with him, crucify him, crucify him. They never did seek 
the beloved is their king, but it says they will do so in the latter days. They will do so in the latter days. Jesus Christ will be their king. He will take the office of David. But more than that, Jesus Christ as the sovereign will occupy the throne of David. Oh, not only will he claim Will he claim descent from David and take the office of David? He'll occupy the throne of David. Isn't that what the scripture very clearly says? Was not what the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 32, 33? Speaking of the child that she would bear, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. He was promised the throne of his father David. Now the throne of David is the throne of Israel. That's, that's very obvious in the scriptures. If you let scripture interpret scripture. For example in 1 Kings 2 and verse 12. It says then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father. And his kingdom was established greatly. So Solomon sat one day upon the throne of his father David. But there's a greater than Solomon who one day will sit upon the throne. It will be God's own dear son, God's beloved son, who will sit upon the throne of his father David. That's what has been promised to him. We read of that as well in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, where it says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. There's two thrones there. There's the throne that Jesus Christ has sat on now. Oh, we rejoice that he is indeed risen. He's ascended, he's exalted, he's on the throne, he's at his Father's right hand. But there's another throne that is spoken of in that verse as well. It's identified as my throne by the Lord Jesus himself. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. So there's two thrones. There's the Father's throne and there's the Son's throne. And the Son's throne is the throne of his father David. And as it was promised by the angel there to Mary in Luke 1, 32 and 33, so indeed it will come to pass. He will reign over the house of Jacob and he will do it forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. He will take the throne of his father David. And that cannot be any other throne because as we've noticed, the Bible says Solomon sat upon that throne. Therefore, there cannot be any other throne other than the throne of Israel. That same throne that Solomon sat upon, David sat upon, David established of the the line of Judah. Jesus Christ is going to take that throne and he's going to sit upon that throne. So when you think about David as the sovereign, we see here a testimony to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and what the Word of God has to say about that great time when our Saviour will come again to this world and he will prevail. And tonight we can rejoice in one who will prevail, who will prevail over everything and over everyone. None will hinder him, none can stay his hand or say, What doest thou? He's the Lord God omnipotent. And there will go up that cry that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The all-powerful one. There's coming a day when he indeed will reign. He'll sit upon the throne of his father David. And he shall prevail. And we rejoice in that this evening. And look forward when we see all that happens in the world. And how times the ungodly triumph. And how the godly 
face persecution and trial and trouble, what a transformation is going to take place. That day when Christ will prevail and he'll sit upon the throne of his father David. But we must hasten on to one final thought here with regards to David and his testimony to the second coming of, of the Lord. And it is this, David's testimony as a songster to the second coming. David's testimony as the songster. He's spoken of as the sweet psalmist of Israel. In that same portion, 2 Samuel 23, where it speaks about him being the anointed one, the one raised up of God. You also read there about him being the sweet psalmist of Israel. And we all know David as the sweet psalmist of Israel. We love his psalms. He has written many of them, the majority of them. And what words there are in his songs. But what songs there they are when they testify to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so many of David's psalms that are prophetic and messianic. There's those that speak about his first coming. You think of Psalm 22 and the sorrows that are in that psalm. And how David spoke there of, of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Uh, the great cry that, that uh, came from the cross is there at the beginning of that psalm. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That psalm concludes with another cry from the cross. The cry that we associate with those words, it is finished. So David is a man who was writing prophetically, writing messianically as well. But David also bore witness to the second coming of the Lord. And I just want to draw your attention to a few of these psalms this evening as, as we come to a conclusion here and think about this particular uh, point of David as the songster bearing witness to the second coming of the Lord. We'll start very near the beginning of the book of Psalms. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. See, it's Spurgeon called that psalm a psalm of Messiah the Prince. A psalm of Messiah the Prince. He went on to say that it sets forth as in a wondrous vision the tumult of the people against the Lord's anointed, the determined purpose of God to exalt his own son and the ultimate reign of that son over all his enemies. That's a summary of, of the psalm. Spurgeon went on to say, let us read it with an eye with the eye of faith beholding as in a glass the final triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ over all his enemies. That's what Psalm 2 is about. That final triumph of our Lord Jesus Christ over all his enemies. The heathen can rage. The people can imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth can set themselves against the Lord. The rulers can take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. They can be determined that they're going to overthrow his laws and his, his ways and his word. But he's going to sit in the heavens and he will laugh. He will laugh at their folly. Tells us that in Psalm 2. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Oh, there's no possibility of them overthrowing the Lord's purposes. Not at all. They can plot and plan and scheme all they want, but they're not going to overthrow the purposes of the Lord. He's going to triumph. He's going to triumph. As Spurgeon says there, it, it sets forth the determinate purpose of God to exalt his own son and the ultimate reign of that son over all his enemies. That's what's said here in this uh, portion. That's what this psalm is all about. 
You can have the, the, the nations raging, but heaven derides them. All the schemes of men. Because in Psalm 2 verse 7, we read about a decree. It says, I will declare the decree. God's decrees are irreversible. God's decrees are irresistible. What God decrees must and will come to pass. And here it is, it says in verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee as Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. I shall break them with a rod of iron. I shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Christ is coming (coughs) to triumph. There's a decree that is here stated. There's counsel that is given here. And those closing verses says, Be wise. Now therefore, ye kings, be instructed, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling, kiss the Son, lest he be angry. What counsel there is there to take heed to even this evening? Whoever we are listening to this, this broadcast, surely those words come with power to us. Be wise, therefore. Every individual needs to be wise. Wise in the light of eternity, wise in the light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this world a second time. Don't be foolish. It says here to the kings that they are to be wise and, and to the judges of the earth, be instructed. Oh, those who think themselves learned in the law of the world. What about being instructed in the law of God? Knowing what the law of God has to say, serve the Lord with, with fear, rejoice with trembling. This is wise counsel indeed. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Isn't there that need to be reconciled to the son? Reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ. Kiss the son. Come and be at peace with him. Come and be reconciled to him. That's the the counsel of God this evening to us. May we take heed to it. As the Lord gives it in his word, may we take heed to it. We're going to turn over to another psalm, Psalm 110. That psalm that we referenced right away at the the beginning of this uh, study this evening where we said the Lord Jesus quoted from this psalm speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew's Gospel chapter 22. And the Lord quoted out of Psalm 110 and here you have the, the psalm of the priestly king. The psalm of the priestly king. The one who is typified in Melchizedek. Melchizedek is mentioned here in this particular uh, portion. None of the kings of Israel or Judah ever united those two offices. They couldn't. None of them could ever be a priestly king because the priestly tribe was Levi, the royal tribe was Judah. So there was no individual who was going to uh, bring both of those offices together and, and be the priestly king. Typified as he would be in Melchizedek, who who was the priestly king, the king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God, as it tells us in Genesis and, and Hebrews. At this, the very heart of this psalm, Psalm 110, lies verse 4. In fact, you have three verses either side of this psalm. There's a very easy division for Psalm 110. You find verse 4 and that statement becomes the very heart and core of this. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We were thinking about a decree in Psalm 2. We were saying then there's a, a decree that's irresistible and irreversible. Well, 
We've got a similar statement here. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. The Lord cannot go back upon his word. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he's referring to the one who sits at his right hand. Isn't that how he is identified there in verse 1? The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Christ Jesus sits at his Father's right hand. That verse in Revelation 3, 21, where it says he sat down with his Father on his throne. He's seated at his Father's right hand. And there he sits until that day when his enemies will be made his footstool. The Lord has sworn something. He will never go back upon his word. Thou art a priest forever. So he's a priest and a king. He's a priest and a king. His, his person there is given to us in these opening verses. And then the, the closing three verses of Psalm 110, you have the triumph of this priestly king. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. There's the triumph of the priestly king. And there he, he is seated. He awaits until that day when his enemies will be made his footstool. And here's David in Psalm testifying to this. Way down through the corridors of time, even beyond the first coming of the Lord. On to that second coming of the Lord. When he's coming in triumph, he's going to be seen to be king. And he's going to be seen to be the royal priest. We'll see him as the Messiah. I want you to turn over to, well, in, in closing to a group of Psalms. Over there to where, or back, sorry, to, to where we were reading. Psalm 95 through to Psalm 100. And Mr. McMillan read two of these Psalms just a little while ago in the broadcast. But we want to come back to these Psalms now as we come to a close this evening. These are Psalms of David as well. And we want to take the six of them together. Psalm 95 through to Psalm 100. Because they form one entire prophecy. Yes, a psalm can be taken and, and considered on its own. And, and why not? <coughs> as you read any of these psalms. Psalm 100, uh, maybe particularly what a, a blessed psalm that is. And we even sing it in, in our worship. All people that on earth do dwell. But these psalms are to be considered together. They're to be considered as, as a section all on their own. These six psalms have to do with the coming of the Lord. Here's David as the songster, the sweet psalmist in Israel. Here's his, him penning these words and they have to do with the second coming of the Lord. Paul quotes from these psalms in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6. There's a very interesting statement there that maybe not obviously is seen to be referring to the second coming, but, but it is. Because in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6, well, maybe we'll, we'll take verse 5 just for the context. It says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship 
him. And we're going to, to see that David is, is quoting one of the Psalms here as he utters those words in, in verse 6. But I want you to notice as well that the word again at the beginning of that verse, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6, is not referring to this being just another Old Testament quotation. That's not what is being said here. That's not the order of the words because if you look at the order of the words, it's actually referring to the fact that he's bringing again his son into the world. That's what the, the again is referring to. It's referring to the second coming. And when he again bringeth his first begotten into the world. In fact, the word world there is the word oikimene. It's a referring to a particular part of the world. The inhabited earth or the prophetic earth. Sometimes as it is called, that's the word world there in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6. But the order of, of the original suggests to us that the, the again is referring to the coming again, the second coming of the Lord, when he's bringing his first begotten, his only beloved son, into the world again. And the cry will go out, let all the angels of God worship him. Because these psalms, as we're saying, Psalm 95 through to 100, are to be taken to, together. Very quickly, we're going to just go down through each one, mention it very, very briefly, summarize it. Psalm 95 asserts Jehovah's Godhead, this power over all nature, exhorting people to bow down and to worship the Lord. Psalm 96 exhorts all nations to join in his service because he cometh to judge all mankind. We can't read very much out of these uh, psalms because of the time moving on this evening. But I certainly would encourage you to, to read through these psalms altogether, starting there at Psalm 95 right through to Psalm 100. Read them one after another and consider the themes that run through them there. Psalm 97, the Lord reigneth. It tells us, the Lord reigneth, the idols are deserted. There is cause to rejoice in him. As it ends there in Psalm 97 verse 12, Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous. Give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Oh, there's coming a day when indeed the righteous will rejoice. That day is coming when the Lord reigneth. That's when the righteous will rejoice. When the Lord reigneth. Psalm 98 reveals that Jehovah has done great wonders and wrought deliverance for himself. How he hath remembered his mercy towards the house of Israel. And yet again it mentions the fact he's coming to judge the earth. These are second coming psalms. Every one of them. Second coming psalms. Psalm 99 describes how the Lord is seated there between the cherubims in Zion. It says, verse 2, the Lord is great in Zion. He's coming to Zion. He's coming to Israel. He's coming to the Mount of Olives. He's going to reign upon the throne of David, remember. The Lord's going to be great in Zion. He's to be praised. The justice of his, his rule is, is mentioned there. Verse uh, 4, the king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Oh, the Lord's rule will be a righteous rule. And then it finishes off Psalm 100. It calls on all the nations to praise the Lord. Come and worship him. 
Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto the Lord and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. Oh, these, are, these are prophetic psalms. These are second coming psalms. Taking us forward to that time when the Lord indeed will reign in Zion. And his mercy is everlasting in truth. His truth endureth to all generations. And in these ways, as we have been considering this evening, David bears testimony to the second coming of the Lord. May we be prepared for that day. May we be prepared. May we take on board that counsel that we were thinking about just a moment or two ago. That counsel the Lord gives us in his word. Oh, be ready, be prepared, be watching and waiting for the coming of the Lord. Be up and busy, for the night cometh when no man can work. And may the Lord indeed find us busy. The days are shortening to the coming of the Lord. And may we therefore be busy and serve him, as that counsel exhorts us to do in his word, serve him. Even this Psalm 100 does the same. Serve the Lord, verse 2 there, serve the Lord with gladness. Oh, may we serve him gladly. May we be glad to serve the Lord. And I just finish with that thought this evening. Is there gladness in our heart over the thought of serving the Lord? Do we delight in the Lord and love the Lord in such a fashion that we would serve him and serve him with gladness? That we'd willingly serve him, live for him? Oh, may the Lord help us to do so. May, we, may the Lord help us to do so. May we learn the testimony of David and even benefit from it this evening. I trust the Lord will bless his word and write it upon our hearts this evening as we have considered it uh, here in this regard. May the Lord be pleased to bless his truth. We'll just bow in prayer for a moment. Our Father, we pray that thou will bless thy word that we have meditated upon. Be gracious to us all. May we indeed serve the Lord. Oh, make us wise, Lord. May we take on board the counsel of the Scriptures. I would have us to be wise and to serve the Lord. May that indeed be so. For the days are short and the time of thy coming is approaching. We pray that we might be faithful, that it might be true of what the Saviour said, that when uh, he comes that he might find us so doing. Oh, grant that to be the case. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.